Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm excited to welcome back IMHIP Legislative Consultant and my friend, John Lauder, to talk about the 2024 state budget. John, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be here, Samantha. And so let's first just sort of level set. We're in 2023, but we're talking about 2024. And that's because the state fiscal year starts July 1st. And so currently have our, our current budget in place. And we are talking proactively about a budget that's going to be in place in a short period of time. Correct. And this budget, I mean, I would say every legislative session, the budget takes up a very large amount of oxygen in the collective room in the Capitol. But with session just wrapping up for this year, it sort of felt like the budget was even, the budget discussion was even bigger than it's been in previous years. I think there are quite a few reasons for that. But can you sort of just like give us some background on this past session and the budget and sort of, you know, just your take of it from the 10,000 foot level? Sure. It, it was a very, um, it was a very unique, well, as you said, Samantha, they're all unique budgets, but this one was even more so, uh, I think, because of what has happened over the last several years. And um, you have a situation where, hey, 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 let's kind of take us all the way back to like the Rauner administration and the budget battles that happened then. And we went a couple years without a budget and we built up a mountain of unpaid bills, like close to 16, $17 billion. The state couldn't pay the bills because they didn't have a budget. Um, and we finally got out of that. They restored the income tax uh, increase that we allowed to lapse for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden you had money coming back in the state again. We had this debt we had to get under, but there was actually money coming in. And then you go from that and we do a very large capital bill where now there's a lot of goodies in the budget for legislators to pass out and take home to their to their constituents. You know, and and then all of a sudden we went into COVID and you know, everybody kind of shut down. And then some very strange things happened during COVID. And I, you know, I, I don't think anybody really saw it coming. And what happened was, is not only did the state receive a lot of federal assistance during that period of time, but so did everybody else. And the state, the the, the government came through and they sent everybody money they sent everybody checks to help keep the economy stimulated and it did and we saw not just the state coffers growing from what we would call arpa money ara money you know this this money that was coming in but our base grf revenues grew exponentially sales tax income tax people had money they were spending it they couldn't go anywhere so they were buying things and and you know, when 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 um, in, in a lot of more big ticket things, you saw a big spike in car sales so much so that we still really haven't recovered from a supply chain issue. In in a lot of areas, people just just went on a mad spending spree, which 
that's what helps state revenues. And so you had all this additional money coming in uh, at the state level to the point where we no longer have a $16 billion backlog of bills anymore. We are paying off. We are able to pay off all these additional debts that we had. And, um, and, and it was also a time where we were driving money into programs. We were creating new programs. We were funding existing programs like they, they were getting significant increases. Now, fast forward to this year, and finally, that kind of uh, all that revenue that we got, you know, it, 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 this is something else. When, when, you, when you put a lot of money in the consumer side of the equation, that lasts for a while because you had all these people that went out, took their, their federal stimulus checks, went out and bought something, which, by the way, then put a whole lot of other people to work and put a whole lot of other money in their pocket. And then they went and bought something who then put a lot of, you know, put somebody else to work. So that dollar changes hands a lot of different times over the course of, of a time period. What you saw this year is finally that started to wind itself out and the economy began to slow and the state revenues began to slow. And you saw for the first time a little significant decrease in state revenues, which meant some difficult decisions were going to have to be made. Not to the point that we had seen a decade ago or so where we had to cut programs, but it wasn't Christmas Day anymore. And it wasn't every little idea and every little program that there was money to fund it. So people had to start making some very difficult decisions. Um, uh, well, not difficult to them. And here's why I say that. Since we're going back to the rounder, you know, where that was the first time that it, that, well, not the first time, but that was a very difficult financial time in the state. And we've seen kind of steady growth since then. If you look at the makeup of the legislature, over 50% of the legislators that are serving in the General Assembly today really never knew that time where you had to make tough fiscal decisions or really tough fiscal decisions when you were talking about having to cut program. So you've got a legislature that is, you know, experiencing kind of this for the first time. They're used to saying, well, I have a program. Can I get it funded? And somebody finding a way to at least fund it at some type of a level. Um, so, so you know that was uh, that was an awakening. You couple that with, at least on the House side, a big turnover in the staff, or not just the staff, but really everybody around the budget process. You have, uh, you know, the, um, the the longtime budgeteer Greg Harris left. Um, you had several key exits from uh, the the staff there, and so you got a brand new person in, in, in leader Jahan Gordon, who's very competent, but she was taking this on for the first time. Um, and then you have, you know, a very inexperienced staff that kind of made it a little chaotic, you know, especially on the house side. And so you're kind of working through this process. And what we saw is we saw a lot of stress and we saw, you know, a lot of, um, of, of hand wringing. You saw a lot of emotion. And on top of that, you put a couple of very large pressures on the budget that happened. Uh, the two that got the most, uh, um, I, I guess, uh, uh, press or the most, the most uh, acknowledgement was the the immigrant health bill, uh, which grew exponentially um, 
crumbling, even since the governor did his introduced budget back in February. And you had a lot of providers that were saying, we need, you know, we need some increases. We need some, we, we need you to update our rates. We've gotten all this great growth, but we've not seen a lot of it on our side. And all of that kind of came together to a kind of a, a kind of a perfect storm there at the end of the session. And, uh, you know, they got it done, but uh, they didn't get it done when they thought they were going to get it done. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a lot of emotion that was spent in trying to get to the final budget. But, but they did. And they ended up passing a budget, uh, you know, uh, both chambers, the governor will sign it. And it's actually a budget that is a reduction budget. It's actually less. The FY24 budget is actually less than the FY23 budget. Not by much, but it is less. So um, I think in the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, it's a budget that was balanced, um, which is which is key. That's key for the governor. Uh, the governor wants to make sure that any budget that he signs does not um, send Illinois backwards, uh, you know, through the areas where we are getting our credit downgraded all the time. He has increased, he's gotten eight straight credit upgrades. And I think it's, that's very important to him. Uh, and he, uh, a big part of getting those credit upgrades is the ability to show that we are balancing the budget with real revenues um, and and uh, holding the line on on expenditures and not really kicking it kicking the can down the street. Although we did that a little bit with rates this year, but not too much. So, absolutely. And there's so much there, and I think it's so important to note that it was sort of expected that when you have big leaders leave the general assembly and you have new people come into these roles, it's just expected that it's going to be different that their approach is going to be different, that are that there's a learning curve. I mean, the whole state budget's not small. And that there's just, you know, those emotions, that hand-wringing, all of that is sort of to be expected as we all sort of go through a change in the process, especially when you just add that, you know, it was a real change from the past few years where we haven't had to make very many hard decisions. It's easy to write a budget when you have lots of extra money. That is the easiest thing. You know, you're you know, you're trying to think, well, how much do we put in the rainy day fund? How much do we spend on these extra projects? Like, that's not hard. What is hard is when you're trying to really, you know, you have firm boundaries and, you know, maybe there's some constriction and there's some surprises and you couple that difficulty with new personalities, new leaders. And it's just, you know, I'm just so impressed by like, when I look at this budget, A, that it was done before May 31st. You're right, it took about a week longer than they planned, but they definitely got it done. And, you know, it does some really important things. It, it does. And and I think that's a testament to, to you know, the, the people that are serving in the General Assembly and the people yep. that are process. Um, you know, every time they do it, you know, as you know, Samantha, every year that, that you're around this process, it gets a little easier. So um, hopefully, um, I, I, I think there was a lot of learning that was done through this process. Hopefully, the economy at least holds and maintains and we don't go into recession because that'll be another area you know if all of a sudden we start to recede and we have to start cutting program 
as you know, Samantha, we've lived it a few times, that becomes really difficult to do. But, you know, um, the federal government just averted uh, what could have ran, a, you know, could, could have put us into a recession. So, you know, we dodged that bullet and hopefully the, the economy stays strong. That's right. And, and we think that for so many reasons, because, you know, obviously we focus on the Medicaid program and it's counter cyclical. So the Medicaid program grows when the economy shrinks because people don't have jobs, they still need health care. And so they turn to the healthcare safety net. And so we really see an expansion and an increase in cost right when there's rarely the revenue um, to support that. And it gets complicated and it gets challenging. And actually, one of the things that assisted in the Medicaid budget sort of coming and really being as well-funded as it is, is the conclusion of something we did, John, um, 10, 15 years ago together um, in one of my first big pieces of legislation where we bonded out some of the tobacco settlement funding um, in order to sort of make it through some hard times here at the state. Those bonds were paid off during the summer. And so the revenue going into the tobacco settlement fund for the Medicaid program increased. And that, yep. that increase in revenue decreased pressure on general revenue funds, decreased pressure on some other, you know, other funds we use and allows us um, as a state to support those provider rate increases. And I want to say why provider rate increases in this time are so important is they face the same increase in cost that all of us do. Right. Like we inflation is just as real for a healthcare provider as it is for a family. And so is their wages and up for their staff is going up as their the cost of their supplies is going up as energy costs go up. All of that impacts them just as much as it impacts the rest of us. And so if their rates don't keep pace, just like as if your salary didn't keep pace, all of a sudden it becomes even harder to sort of make the ends meet. And that's of particular import for any provider that really relies on the Medicaid program as their main source of revenue. Yeah, that's so true, Sam. And how many times we have talked and uh, given presentations on Medicaid where we talk about how really inadequate our rates are in the state. And even with this increase, it helps, but we still got a long way to go, uh, especially with certain providers. That's right. And I want to say, like, I think that's so important that we just sort of acknowledge the truth, like this increased provider reimbursement. There are some important reimbursement increases here, but we still reimburse far below the Medicare rate. Um, and, you know, what you reimburse a provider it's going to impact your access. I mean, I, you know, again, let's just sort of break it down for a family. If you only have so much to spend, you know, on a dinner when you go out with your family, like you only have 50 bucks, you're, and you have a family of four, you're likely not going to be able to go to any restaurant on the block. You've got to pick, you know, the, the couple that you, that will, that $50 is going to cover your meal. And we really see that with Medicaid reimbursement rates too, where 
especially certain providers, I'm thinking like doctors, you know, smaller providers where there are certain rules around hospitals that you have to see Medicaid and there are certain, you know, things that offer that protection. But for small providers, they really have a choice. They can accept it or not. They can accept it, but they can sort of limit, like we're only going to see 10 members. They have that choice. It is their business decision. And so if reimbursement rates result in significant losses for them, at some point they say, we can't accept this. We can't afford this because we're losing money. It's not because we don't care about members. It's that we can't keep our doors open and keep accepting without sort of limitations. And that's the balance. How do you fit that access that we want and that our Medicaid members deserve within the state budget with the with appropriate accountability and oversight and recognizing these are taxpayer dollars? Because of course, the flip side of that is you just go spending willy-nilly, that's impacting all of our dollars, right? Like if the budget balloons and there's no accountability and there's no responsibility, then all of our taxes have to go up to support that. And so how do you balance it all and create that compassionate government that's fully funded and responsible and sustainable? Um, and that's always, I think that's that's the, you know, that's the trick and that's the hard part. Um, but I think they did that this year obviously we have more work to do. I mean, we always are going to, but they invested in the Medicaid program. They, you know, the, the budget is balanced. They didn't really increase taxes for like, you know, you and I, John, I mean, I guess we'll pay $10 more to get our um, car registered, but you know, nothing big there. And we saw some real investments in the Medicaid program. Yeah. And, and actually, you only pay ten dollars when you sell your car. That's on certificate of title. Oh, so. perfect! <laughs> so I'm not selling my car, so I'm good to go. You're good to go. But Sam, I think you you you, you summed it up. And and you also, you know, when you said that you got to have, you know, especially in the healthcare space, you have to have that guiding hand, that 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 oversight, that's watching what's happening to costs, because we saw how quickly costs can, can get away from you if you don't. And, um, you know, we want to be compassionate. We want to provide the best care we can, but we got to make sure that we're doing it in, in the right settings. We're doing it at the right amounts and we're making sure that we're getting the right outcomes that we want. And um, I mean, just goes to show how important managed care is and what we do in, in, in the, in, in the, uh, in the Medicaid space. Absolutely. Oh, well, John, I am so glad that you've been able to join us and sort of help us wrap this up and explain it to us and provide us with, I think, that much needed and important context of sort of like, how did we get here? Why was this a little bit more complicated? And what are all the, you know, the, the factors that have gone into sort of where we are today um, I so appreciate your insight and your expertise and really breaking it down for our listeners. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here and on the show, Samantha, and it's always a pleasure catching up with you, especially talking budgets. It's, it is our one of our nerdy passions, that is for sure. Well, to our listeners, to learn more about what IMHIP is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
I'm Samantha Oldsbry, the Sam and Sam Says. As always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.